Okay, we're going to go ahead and get this started. I want to thank everyone uh, who's come out this afternoon on a beautiful day to educate yourself on the candidates that we have running for office in this forum. I also want to thank uh, KBLG and KBUC Radio for being here to broadcast this forum. And the Fayette County Record is also here putting this on their uh, Fayette County Facebook page. And especially William Burnson is video recording this whole forum. It will be posted on our Fayette County Republican Party website. It will be a very high resolution video. Also, he'll be cutting out the breaks and the nonsensical stuff that y'all don't necessarily need to sit through. So it'll be a little bit shorter, quicker to get through. Um, you can also speed up the video a little bit while you're watching it, so that would help also. But tell your friends and family and neighbors who weren't able to come out today that they can certainly check our website uh, no later than tomorrow morning, and it will be posted. Um, let's see. I want to quickly recognize any elected officials in the audience who are not part of the forum. Um, I know I saw who's hiding back there in the hat. Peggy Supak? And Kyle Hartman. <laughs> Kyle Hartman. Thank you, Kyle. Anybody else? Okay, great. Um, housekeeping, restrooms are over in that corner. Uh, Tom Cabina has arranged to open a snack bar if you get thirsty or hungry. They've got some snacks for you. Um, also, throughout the forum, you can go to the end information desk and pick up an index card if you want to write a question for the candidates. But just keep in mind when you're writing your questions, don't target a specific candidate. Your questions must apply to both candidates. Also, please don't ask yes or no questions or multiple choice questions. Um, keep in mind that they have one minute to respond to audience questions. So you can turn in your questions anytime throughout the forum to the information desk over there or we'll be collecting the questions um, during short breaks with each candidate's race. I want to thank our moderator, Craig Moreau, and his lovely assistant, Reagan Moreau, uh, who will be moderating the questions for us. Also, Tom Cabina is our timekeeper. Dennis Giesemann is his, I can't say lovely assistant, but he's the assistant, uh, our security, LaGrange Police Chief David Gilbreth has generously offered to come here this afternoon and help us out. Um, and of course, David Stahl, who is running all of these microphones and uh, taking photographs for us. So I appreciate all of our volunteers, our people at the information desk, at the, the sign-in desk. I can't do this by myself, so it's wonderful to have really good uh, dependable volunteers and I really appreciate that. So the order of the forum is going to be first the county chair race with myself, Deborah Frank, and Michael Schlaubach, then the precinct two constable race with Roger Wunderlich and Kenneth King, and finally the county attorney race with James Herbrick and Mark Elvig. So we're going to get started. Please stand for the invocation and the pledges. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us safely together on this beautiful afternoon and allowing this gathering. 
Lord, you have blessed us with the freedom to share opinions and participate in the political process in our county and beyond. Father, we see too much political corruption and greed at all levels of our government. Help us to open our hearts and minds to the information we will hear today. Please guide us to base our upcoming voting decisions on those who are seeking election to be true public servants. Let us choose those who want to make Fayette County a better place to live with their hard work, honesty, and integrity. Finally, dear Lord, see us all home safely today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now the pledges. First, to the American flag, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And now the Texas flag. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to the Texas, one state, under God, one, indivisible. Yeehaw. All right, you may be seated. Okay, one final reminder. This is a candidate forum. It's not a debate. I want candidates to be respectful of their opponents. And I am going to now turn the forum over to our moderator, Craig Moreau. He's going to cover the rules and start the questions. Thank you, Deborah. All right, I'm going to read these rules before each uh, candidate, so you're going to hear these a few times. Uh, we'll say that these rules are important, and I would ask that the candidates focus on them and uh, remember them. Uh, we're a very fortunate county in that we're small. Everybody knows everyone. Everybody's friends with everyone, and we would like that to be the nature of this um, not debate, of this forum as well. So the forum rules. Candidates should silence all electronic devices when seated for questions. Candidates must focus their responses on their own experience, accomplishments, and qualifications for the office they are seeking. Why they are the best candidate for the position should be the focus. Candidates must not disparage other candidates. If a candidate makes a disparaging remark about another candidate, they will receive one warning. If they continue, they will lose the remainder of time for that question, and with a third attack, they will be removed from the candidate tables. This will be enforced. Candidates should listen carefully to the questions and answer them completely. They may ask the moderator to repeat a question if needed. Each candidate must pay attention to the timekeeper cards. They will have three minutes for opening remarks in ballot order, one and a half minutes response time per prepared question starting in ballot order, one minute response time per audience question, and two minutes for closing remarks. All candidates will be given the opportunity to answer each question. Questions will be repeated for each candidate before their response. And the initial question will be addressed to the candidates starting ballot order, uh, Fayette County Republican County Chair Michael Schlabach and then Deborah Frank for the constable's race. It will start with Kenneth King and then Roger Wunderlich. And for the county attorney race, it will start with James Herbrick and then Mark Elvig. Each subsequent question will initially be directed to the next candidate in ballot order so that every candidate will have question questions directed to them first. Candidates, do you understand the rules? Yes, sir. Yes. Thank you. All right, we'll start with our opening remarks. Uh, we have three minutes for the opening remarks, and we'll begin with Mr. Michael Schlabach. Good afternoon. Welcome to Ellinger. Uh, my name is Michael Schlabach. I'm a candidate for the Republican Party Chair. Um, my goals are to broaden this Republican Party in Fayette County. To me, it seems a little isolated. Um, I don't see enough events going on, 
It's very important. I will guarantee that elections run fairly, but it's what you do the other in between the elections every two years. You've got to start getting people involved. You have got to bring them into the party, whether it's fundraisers, where it's events. It can be simple things as a skeet shoot, something to get people out. I'm going to make this short, sweet. If I become your Republican chair, you're going to see a lot more people attending things. I'm not going to wait for them to come to me. I'm going to go to them. I'm not going to have a meeting and say, okay, come to this meeting. People hate meetings. Rich people hate meetings. Have organized events that are fun, something sociable. And so that's my goal, is to organize this party, get a lot younger people. I mean, I'm one of the youngest people here. I'm 53. So I'm getting to be an old goat myself. And so, like I said, that's my goal, is because the young ones coming in do not think like us. They're coming in from California, everywhere else. And their ideology is completely different than ours. And we need to keep this conservative county, and we've got to start working with the youngsters and doing that. And that's all I got. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Frank? All right. Hi. My name is Deborah Frank, and I am your Fayette County Republican Party chairman. I am the only candidate in this race with grassroots experience and the only one who has a complete understanding of what the chairman position demands in personal time and experience. The political processes and especially the election process. I learned all of this firsthand. Since joining the party in 2010, I've been a diligent grassroots worker and engaged in Republican politics in this county. I have block walked for candidates and worked the campaign headquarters. I hosted Senator Colcourt's first meet and greet in Fayette County at my home after Fayette County was moved into her district. I have served as Republican women president, election judge, precinct chair, activities chair, vice chair, and now county chair. In fact, this is my fourth uh, time to run our primary elections. As many of you have experienced through your church, civic, or other volunteer organizations, the most effective leaders are those who have risen up through the ranks learning the functions of the organization through personal experience. I've done that. I have attended every county and state convention since 2010, representing Fayette County and helping to determine the state party rules, platform, and legislative priorities. I have built excellent relationships with our elections administrator, our SC18 committee reps, and our legislators. I'm an effective leader because I am inclusive and responsive. I am open to new ideas from our membership and especially the executive committee, your precinct chairs. The true power of the county party lies with the precinct chairs. The duties of the county chair are outlined in the Texas Election Code, directing how to manage the party primary and runoff elections. This includes accepting ballot applications and filing fees, coordinating with the local elections office, scheduling ballot draws, filing reports with Secretary of State, recruiting election judges and clerks, and observing the Central County Station on election night. Because the body of law related to elections is huge and fluid, um, I attend election law training prior to each primary election year. Primary elections have run very smoothly under my leadership. I'm running for county chair to ensure the continued success of this county's Republican primary elections. I want voters to have every opportunity to educate themselves on the candidates and the issues Hosting candidate forums like this one is one way we accomplish that. I am experienced, organized, professional, responsive, and dedicated to running informed and fair elections. I ask for your continued support and your vote on March 5th. Thank you. All right, in ballot order, our first question will go to uh, Michael. 
Michael, can you explain your background, education, and work experience that makes you the best candidate for chair? Yes. Um, my background, I'm LaGrange. I went to LaGrange High School. I did go to college. I didn't graduate. I went in the Army, served 10 years with reserves. I um, have been a taxidermist now. I was a real estate agent and taxidermist. I went full-time taxidermy. I've literally taught around the world, everywhere from Washington State to Australia. They've flown me out to teach taxidermy. I'm a good leader. I'm a good teacher. Um, what qualifies me for this job? I'll put it simple. Look at this hall. When we came in here, it was brown paneling and old windows. I can build. And when I've got an urge to do something, when I've got a craving to do something, I can knock it out of the park. And like we said, the floors, the electric, everything, the grants. You know, uh, one of the deals is dealing with local politicians, so to speak. I work with the GLO, General Land Office, and Fayette County representative of the uh, commissioners and judge, and I've got us $80,000 to work on rebuilding this hall. I've worked with LCRA on grants. I've worked with people. I'm good at building, and I'm good at bringing people together. And if there's a problem, I'm not going to holler. I'm not going to talk down to somebody. I'm not going to tell them this is how it is. We're going to come together. We're going to have a nice meeting. We're going to figure it out. I'm a people person, and I can bring people together. Thank you. Yes, I worked for AT&T for 37 years, working my way up from long distance operator to uh, second level project manager and team leader over my project management team. While I was working at AT&T, I went to night school. I obtained a business management degree. I graduated with highest honors. Throughout my career, I have learned to be organized, uh, customer focused, committed to complete whatever tasks I was given. And in fact, throughout my career, I was offered promotions and given special projects simply because of my work ethic and the fact that I had proven that whatever tasks that I took on, I would complete um, well and on time. And this has served me throughout my career and my personal life. Uh, the second question goes to Deborah first. Deborah, describe the duties and responsibilities of the county chair in which, in your opinion, are the most important. Well, obviously the very mo most important is running, managing the primary elections and the runoff elections every two years. But in order to do that effectively, you have to be prepared for it. You have to understand elections. Um, I attend not only the Secretary of State election training every year, but also TRCCA, which is the Texas uh, Republican County Chair Association, has training every year. Um, in addition to that, I host and organize quarterly meetings with excellent speakers on current topics. I organize the precinct and county conventions, which are necessary in order for Fayette County to send delegates to the state convention. And then at the state convention, that is where the state party platform rules and legislative priorities are determined. So from beginning to end, I have been involved learning elections, working as election judge. Uh, even once I became chair, I still attend all election judge training so I can keep current with the rules and regulations that's going on. Of course, like she said, running elections. I mean, I've talked with several people from other counties and this county. You've got to put together a team to make sure it's honest and fair, just like she said. 
Um, to me, the other most important thing is, and I sound like a broken record, is bringing people together. Right now, I feel it's split. You cannot have more of a, you're going to do it this way mentality when you're going to bring people together. You've got to have, an, to an idea of what are we going to do, let's grow it. Um, the duties of a chairman are, yes, run the elections. That's, you've got a group of people that's going to do that, and you're going to, the um, Secretary of State and everybody's going to make dang sure you do it the right way. What you do in between there is you've got to get people to come to the primary elections. You've got to encourage voters, have registrations, have events that bring people in. And to me, that's one of the most important things. It's not meetings, meetings, meetings. Yes, you're going to have meetings. That's simple. What are you going to do in your extracurricular time? People don't want to go to meetings. I mean, that's just a general thing. Are you going to have a fishing tournament? Are you going to have a shooting contest, skeet shooting, a barbecue cook-off? You know, just different things to bring people together. Let them understand it's fun. I mean, simple organizations like this one has grown. And once you get people coming, I mean, we started bingo years ago with the help of Ms. Kavina, and I think we had 80 people. Last night we had 360. You give them something good, you'll grow it. And that's what we need to do to this party is grow it. Thank you. All right, Mr. Schlaubach, we're going to go back to you. Describe your experience and participation in local elections and party activities. Uh, local elections, party activities, I've been a regular Republican since I was a little kid. As far as getting involved, one of the reasons I didn't is because of the stigma around it. I've always been involved in a Republican party. Uh, matter of fact, myself and Tommy Hudson, rest in peace, are one of the ones who organized everything to get the Donald Trump signs out because they weren't readily available. I mean, so it's just been through grassroots efforts is what I've done. I'm very, you know, I guess socially network speaking, I'm very opinionated, but at the same time I respect other people's opinion. And I think that's where we have to go at it. Um, local elections, I still think that a lot of our Democratic friends are still more what I would call a moderate Republican. And you have to respect their view. Oh, they're a Democrat. So talk to people. Nobody wants to come to your party. Nobody wants to join in the fund if all they're going to get is criticized. So that's my experience is explaining to people, not talking down to them on why they're wrong or what I feel is wrong. Talk to them and make them understand you're welcome. It's an open party. Invite them. So basically, that's my general experience in the politics. Like I said, it's just been more grassroots. Um, I voted in every election since I was 18 years old. I'm very involved in politics. But like I said, at the same time, you need to make it socially inclusive. Okay, I joined Fayette County Republican Women in 20, 2009. Uh, the next year I became secretary of that organization. I joined the Fayette County Republican Party in 2010. Um, at that time, I participated in block walking for the candidates, working Republican headquarters. Um, I eventually became a precinct chair and um, an election judge. I have worked virtually every election uh, since 2010 in one capacity or, of, or the, another uh, until I became county chair. Of course, I can't work elections as county chair, but I am coordinating with the elections administrator. I'm there every election night until every single ballot is counted and validated and um, obviously totally involved in all of the Fayette County Republican politics. Thank you. The next question uh, will be to Deborah first again. According to the Republican Party of Texas County Chair Handbook, what qualities make an effective county chair? Well, someone who is uh, organized, dedicated, responsive, uh, inclusive, and 
willing to spend the time and effort it takes to learn the process, do the work, get out there and encourage the voters, educate the voters, uh, make sure that they understand their candidates, the issues that they're voting on. But again, most importantly, attending the Secretary of State and the TRCCA training to ensure that I am prepared and ready and running fair elections. It's funny, I've got the handbook right here in front of me, but I can't say that for point of view. Um, it's funny, in an email that she sent on December 16th, she said that I was not knowledgeable, I was not experienced, I was not presentable. Michael, was, this is gonna be your first warning. Uh, please focus the uh, responses I to am. you and your qualifications. I am. Thank you. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying what I was told to everybody, what I was not, and I'm trying to say what I am. Okay. Is that fair? Uh, please continue. Okay, thank you. I was not responsive, diligent, or dedicated. The same thing comes out of the handbook. That is totally opposite. I'm very dedicated. In the handbook, what it says is you're responsible to the people, you're responsible for the elections. That's my goal. And when I apologize for that, Mr. Monroe, but that's what was sent out that I was not. And it was basically just copy and pasted from the handbook. And so I'm just here to tell everybody that I am diligent, I am organized, I am articulate. Like I said, I can spell the three there. So I mean, I think that makes it pretty, you know, easy. So that's my deal. It's, yes, the elections, but also your responsibility is to the party and to build the party. And I feel I'm a better person to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. The next question is going to be, start with you again. What do voter turnout statistics tell us about the nature of the Republican Party in Fayette County and elections in general? I think the Fayette County is one of the stronger ones. I mean, because we are still a very rural county. I think that's supposed to change very much in the next five years as you have more people moving in. I think the percentage is what, about 80? I think, I think it's about 80% Republican for more or less. But it's also the type of who's gonna come out to vote. You've got a lot of people that get disenfranchised. A lot of people don't like Donald Trump, but they despise Joe Biden, so they go, okay, I'm not gonna vote for either one of them. You've got to help them get them to comprehend that any non-vote is a vote for. And I think that that's part of our job as a county chair is to get the message out and to try to make the party stronger because we are going to start losing voters as the years go by and more people come in. Well, statistics tell us that um, the Republican voters have increased over the last several years. Um, Michael was close, I think, Republicans now vote about 82% of the vote. The one thing I am concerned about is the age of our voter. In the majority of our elections, the voter turnout, the majority is over 55 years old. We need to attract young, younger voters, and I feel that one of the ways that I've tried to do this is to secure, invite and um, hire student clerks for our elections, and I have done that for the past several election cycles. I think you engage the, the students, the children, and the parents are gonna be paying more attention to the political process and the political issues. So um, we've gotten younger people involved, like I said, as election clerks. Also, they participate in our uh, countywide events like parades, Roundtop Parade, we're there every year. We have a, a great presence there. 
We're in the Flatonia Parade, the Schulenburg Parade. We have a booth at the Fayette County four-day county fair that uh, young people help us man that. So I think the best way to reach out to the younger generation is to get them involved. All right, Ms. Frank, this question is going to go back to you again. Describe what grassroots means and how it applies to the structure of the Republican Party of Texas. Well, grassroots means starting at the local level, like I did. When I joined the Fayette County Republican Party in 2010, again, I block walked. I worked the headquarters. I was an election judge at various um, different polling locations. Wherever I was needed, that's where I worked. I became precinct chair, uh, activities chair. I was assigned or assigned as vice chair, then elected as county chair. So all of those things, you, you grow your experience as a grassroots activist. Um, you continue to stay involved. And another thing I like to focus on is uh, nonpartisan races. If we get good conservatives in our school boards, in our uh, council positions, then hopefully those same conservatives will then move on and run for higher offices within the county and we'll build a great conservative base in this county. I actually hate to say this, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but the definition of grassroots is look at the Democratic Party and college campuses. They have it going together, they have structure, they've taken from the top, gone to the bottom, and gave something, gave people something they feel they believe in, right? It's, and I hate to say it like this, it's almost like a brainwashing. And so what you have to do is start at the younger levels because, like I said, they've mastered it. If you go to a college campus and you have a Republican Party, you're probably going to get ran out off the campus. And so what we have to do is start younger and younger and telling people and influencing them that it's okay to be conservative. It's okay to have a voice. But you cannot, as I say, shove it down their throat. You can, this is what you're going to feel. And I feel that a lot of times that's happened. So you need a more constructive measure. And like I said, simple little things, have a fundraiser or something like that where people get together and talk, not in a meeting type of environment, but more of a social type environment. And that's where you're gonna get your grassroots from because those people are gonna tell people, those people are gonna tell people, and they're gonna keep coming back. But you can't do it through, this is what you gotta do. Like I said, you've got to have something as far as grassroots. Like I said, a simple, like um, they did, a, I think it was Lavac County, whatever. They had a fundraiser. I don't have the deal. And they were selling for $10 um, pulled pork. Well, that's a fundraiser, but at the same time, you get people together for a noble cause, and they're having a good time doing it. That's what we need to start doing here in Fayette County. Thank you. All right, the next question will go back to you, Michael. Name some of the legislative priorities adopted at the most recent Republican State Convention and why legislative priorities matter. Um, you're going to get me pretty good on that one because I follow, but I don't know enough. As far as the legislative priorities, I know that they had abortion come up was a big deal. Um, a lot of the more conservative ones have tried to put in tougher measurements to ensure that we have gun rights. I know that there's been a lot of legislation talk over the border, which the United, uh, Texas is a lot stronger on, but the federal government is intervening on that. So that's what that's the ones I know about. I'm not as articulate, so to speak, and know every measure, so to speak, on the terms of what the definition is, you know, Article 1, Phase 3, whatever. But that's the three major ones that I know of is the abortion, 
the border and Second Amendment is the three biggest ones that have been coming up. And Texas has been very strong on all those. But like I said, where we're getting held up as a state, communities and everything, somebody asked last time what the biggest threat to Fayette County was. And I said, it's Joe Biden. Because the people of Fayette County are strong. We come together. Whether it be floods, whatever, when the floods happen, I've seen the chief out there, and there's a bunch of civilians helping him. We come together. What hurts us is what comes from Washington and is delved down to the state level and also the local level. Okay. <clears throat> Border security was a very high priority. School choice was, a, was another high priority. Uh, parental rights uh, as far as their children's education and being able to get pornography out of the, the libraries in the schools. Um, protecting protecting children from medical and chemical deviation or whatever you want to call it, uh, from those who are trying to change their gender, which is impossible. But anyway, those are some of the biggest ones. And they are important because when the Republican Party of Texas sets legislative priorities, this is what we look to our legislatures to follow, to push those priorities. And unfortunately, as we saw in the last session and, you know, another session, another session, another session, our legislatures did not meet all of our legislative priorities set by the, the party. Thank you. The next question is back to you, Deborah. How would, uh, how would your faith guide you in the execution of the duties of the office you are seeking? Well, in my life, I feel like if you follow the Ten Commandments, then you're going to do the right thing 100% of the time. And that's what I've tried to do all of my, my life. I've tried to be honest, understanding, treat people like I would like to be treated. And um, when trouble comes, you look to God and you ask him for help. Um, I'm very, I don't know how to explain this. I don't go to church as much, but I probably pray 50 times a day. <laughs> very, trust me, prayer. But um, that's a kind of almost a tricky question because I'm thinking more of law because you have to follow the rules of law. And there are going to be some things that might be prioritized or asked of that are not in judgment. I mean, simple things. If they say that a man can go into a woman's bathroom, because, I guarantee he better not go into my niece's. <laughs> or else Chief Gilbert's going to be carrying me out. So there's certain things, like I said, to me, it's almost a, it's a weird question. If it's by law, you have to follow the law. But if it's something that really conflicts with my faith, I would have to have a discussion with my constituents and everybody else because there's some things that even though it might be law it ain't right thank you back to you mr schlabach describe the functions of precinct chairs and why are they important oh precinct chairs well number one is like she stresses very importantly the elections you've got to make sure you have good honest honest working elections where when the election is done people don't look and go was that right and that's something that she has i'm going to say this honestly she does a good job. Hopefully I can do better. Either way, you're going to be in good hands with either one of us. I just hope that you can see the way I want to carry it in the future. 
but not just the elections, but you're responsible for bringing this party forward in a more open light and getting people to believe in the party and people in your principles. I mean, people are so brainwashed by media, by news, by music, by everything. They don't understand the reality or consequences of certain things, such as, say, an abortion or the hard use of drugs, because it's all glorified right now. So maybe if you can get some younger people involved who can sit down and have a conversation and start changing the attitudes of the younger people. I mean, like I said, I'm 53. No 18-year-old wants to listen to me, but they might listen to somebody 26. So that's my goal is to start getting people younger and younger and younger involved. Thank you. Well, like I said in the beginning, the true um, power of the party lies with the precinct chairs. They are the ones who make the final decisions and, um, you know, I just have one vote. I have right now 10 of the 12 precinct chair positions are filled. Um, I'm working to fill the last two positions, but again, the power of the, the local party lies with the precinct chair and it's their duty to get out and talk to the people, help educate the voters, um, work the membership drives, uh, work as uh, deputy voter registrars, get people registered, get them talking about issues, get them to the polls, remind them when early voting is, uh, remind them how important the elections are. For example, in this, um, when I became county chair in 2014, or vice chair in 2014, only one of our elected county positions was held by a Republican. With this primary election, all 19 of the county positions will be held by Republicans. All right, this question is uh, back to you, Deborah. What is the purpose of the precinct and county conventions? All right, precinct and county conventions are to, again, start at the grassroots level. If our county or one of the precinct chairs or actually any member of the county has, for example, a resolution they would like to present at the state convention. They initially have to attend the precinct convention, submit that resolution. It goes through a process at the county convention um, to determine whether or not we as a county want to pass along that resolution for consideration to the state party. Also, delegates are determined starting at the precinct level. You're elected as a precinct delegate, then you attend the county convention. At the county convention, each county is allowed X number of delegates to the state convention based on the voter turnout. So you have to start at the precinct level, become a precinct uh, delegate, then a, a county delegate, then be elected at the county convention to be a state delegate. Once you get to the state, that's again where the state priorities, the state rules, the state platform is determined. What she said. <laughs> no, seriously, basically it is to get your delegates chosen. You want to get somebody to very good. You've got to be careful on who you actually are sending once everything goes up to the state. So you want to get somebody strong, solid. Um, basically the same word, articulate, somebody can speak well, to get all your ideas, like she said, get your resolutions passed and see what you want to bring to the state. Thank you. Uh, the next question uh, goes back to you, Michael. 
Describe the importance of resolutions originating from our local conventions and name one that had a significant impact on state policy. I don't know the local resolutions that would have had a significant impact on state. I know that the local resolutions come up affect more rural communities. Where Fayette County is huge, but it's small in terms of, you know, people. I mean, you take one quarter of Austin, you have more population than you do all of Fayette County. So it's very important to get the local vibe in and get the voice of local people brought in. As far as the local ones passed, I do not know. Well, the biggest one that came out of Fayette County, in my opinion, was the one that David and Linda Stahl uh, originated to stop the uh, tollway that was going to run completely through Texas um, and be managed by private entities, but take our state tax dollars to help pay it. And David and Linda presented that at the county convention it was approved, it went up to state, and they worked it diligently and was able to defeat the uh, Texas Tollway. Thank you. Ms. Frank, in order for citizens to gauge your effectiveness, at the end of your first term, what results would we look for in order to assess your performance? Well, actually, you can look at my past seven years of performance as vice chair and as county chair. I think I mentioned earlier that the party membership here in Fayette County has increased by one-third uh, since in the last three years. Our Republican base is now at 82 percent. Um, so our vote, voter turnout has steadily increased as I've been chair. And of course, I still want to, you always want to do better there's always something you can improve on. But to continue the successes that I have accomplished over the last seven years is basically what I want to do. And continue to educate the, the voters, um, host these candidate forums where they can meet and hear the candidates speak. Uh, like last, the amendment election, we had a forum that went through every single of one of the 14 amendments to make sure attendees understood them and were confident when they had to go to the polls on November the 7th. A lot more involvement, a lot more involvement. You're going to see a lot more people aware of the Bay County Republican Party. You're going to see a lot more social media activity. I'm sorry, but newspapers are great. We read newspapers. Most young people don't. So you're not hitting the audience. People want to go to Facebook, click this, this, this. They want to see it scrolling through. You're going to see a lot more social media presence. You're going to see a lot more signs. You're not going to see all the Beto signs. You're going to see a lot more for Republican governor. We've got to get our presence known out there. So I feel that through X, formerly Twitter, um, Instagram, your Facebook, a lot of people hate that. But guess what? It works. It works a lot. And um, I was... It doesn't matter what candidate you are out there, but it's like in the judges race. Everybody knows Mr. Rowe, everybody knows Mr. Miller, but because there's social media presence and people gauge by that. And we've got to get a lot more out there. You're not gonna get young kids through newspaper and through a website. You've got to go on the social media aspect of it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that concludes our uh, predetermined questions. Uh, at this time, we'll invite uh, the audience members to submit questions to the form on your table. Uh, we'll take a short break. If you can get those questions to me, I would appreciate it. 
All right, we have one question. So we'll start with uh, Michael for this question. Uh, the term RINO, which is an acronym for Republican in name only, is a term often bemoaned by many on social media and in casual conversations. Now that Fayette County will have 100% Republican representation, what will you do in your county chair position to keep conservative values paramount? Um, just speak the truth. I mean, if you want to know the honest truth, there's nothing you can do to make sure that it's fair. You can say what you want, but the voters are going to decide. I'm not going to decide. So what you have to do is just when anybody running for election, it's how they sell themselves. I mean, I can't tell somebody to run or not to run. That's unethical, to say the least. So all I can do is put out there what we expect, what we want, what we hope for. But that's up to the Republican voters on how that works out. Okay, uh, I touched on this earlier, but I believe that starting at the grassroots level, encouraging true conservatives to run for school board and uh, city council positions um, and serve as nonpartisan officials, but through that service, then you can really understand if they're really true conservatives and then Hopefully, the true conservatives will then move up through the ranks and run for higher positions throughout the county. But um, like Michael said, you, you can't make that decision. The voters have to make that decision, and that's another reason we have these candidate forums. So we can put the candidates out there. We can let the audience hear what they have to say, what their qualifications are, why they want to serve and um, make a, an educated decision. And that's one of my main goals. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll now move to our closing remarks. Candidates, you will have one and a half minutes, uh, correction, you will have two minutes uh, for closing remarks. Uh, we will start in ballot order and that will uh, let you go first, uh, Mr. Schaubach. Okay. Um, as far as it goes, it's like I said earlier, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to be blunt. The party's going to be in good hands with either one of us. She does a good job. I feel I can do better. I mean, that's just a short way to say it. I'm a very hard worker. When I take on something, I go for broke. And I think that we can really build the party. Like I said, when, in my opinion, I don't have any statistics, but I think when you get in your 40s, you know who you're going to vote for. We all know who you're going to vote for for commissioner. We know who... We basically, it's going to be it's the younger voters that we have to attract, and we have to get the signs out there. As I said, when I took over, when I ran for this position, I'm lucky I've got two dads. I've got a dad who was in Vietnam, had a bad life, and he's a lot better now, and I've got the man to raise me. But the one that had a bad life came to Fayette County during the governor's race, and he asked me, he said, I thought you said it was conservative. I said, it is. He said, then how come I see nothing but Beto signs? We've got to show the Republican pride. We've got to get it out there, and we've got to get the younger people involved where they're not ashamed. A lot of people are scared to put a Republican sign in their yard because they don't see them. They see, all they do is see the Beto signs and stuff like that. We've got to show them, that, even out-of-towners, that we are a very strong Republican conservative county, and I really feel I could do a better job in bringing that out. Thank you. Okay. The chairman position, if conducted responsibly, is a full-time job. It's a volunteer job which requires daily, year-round commitment. I'm proud of what I've accomplished. Since I became chair, we have established a Facebook page, a YouTube site, and an outstanding website. We host quarterly meetings with excellent speakers on current topics. We began hosting candidate forums with the first primary that I managed. 
We opened a candidate headquarters during presidential election years to get out the campaign signs, but that takes volunteers. Prior to 2014, when I became vice chair, Fayette County had only one Republican office holder. After this primary, Republicans will hold all 19 county offices. I recognize the desire to engage the youth. In fact, I have hired student election clerks in the past several election cycles. We also have youth participation in our annual parade entries, Round Top, Flatonia, Schulenburg, Fayetteville, and at our booth during the Fort A. Fayette County Fair. I appreciate the parents who encourage their kids to participate in political activities. I also know that there are many other activities that take priority, such as school, sports, church, and family. The local races in Fayette County will not have a Democrat opponent on the November ballot. Whoever wins this Republican primary will fill the position. So to help determine who serves Fayette County, you must vote in the Republican primary. I am a proven conservative and proud that the executive committee and voters have put their trust in me over the past seven years. I'm motivated to see my successes continue and expand. So be sure to take home my push card. On the back, it has all of the early voting information, the time, dates, and um, hours of early voting, plus all of the, the polling locations on March 5th. So I thank you and ask for your vote on March 5th. Thank you. At uh, this time, we will move directly to uh, the next candidate forum, which will be our two uh, constable races. If they can start making their way to the, to the podium. Thank you very much, candidates. I'm going to read through the rules. The initial questions will be addressed to the candidates starting in ballot order. And for this uh, forum, the uh, County Constable Precinct 2 candidate, Kenneth King, uh, will begin. Mr. King, you have uh, time for your opening remark. My name is Kenneth King, I'm 58 years old. Um, I've been a public servant since I was 18, and I'm a master peace officer. I hold a, um, a master security license as well, a private investigator, um, bounty hunter. Um, I'm a father of seven, and um, I love my country. I am a patriot to my heart, and I love being in Fayette County. Current Constable Precinct 2. I've been in office since 2011. Been in law enforcement since 1994. Uh, permanent current resident of Fayette County full time. Uh, spend lots of time uh, getting out in the community to meet the people. Lots of civil process. Unfortunately, uh, evictions have been on the rise. So uh, I know the community. I've worked here. I live here. I know all the people, most of the people I deal with, and uh, I'm trying to do as good a job and as fair a job as I can. I've got 29 years law enforcement, 2,200 hours of continuous education. I graduated from the Law Enforcement Management Institute at Texas. I've got that certification, uh, numerous others. Uh, I'm not here to blow my own whistle. Everybody that knows me know what I do, knows what I do. And uh, I, that's my opening statement. Thank you. First question in ballot order will go to Mr. King. Mr. King, describe the duties and responsibilities of a constable and which, in your opinion, are the most important. The most important, in my opinion, is being approachable, being out in the community, getting to know the community, and getting to know mostly the kids in the community. Um, 
the duties of constables serve civil process, they augment uh, law enforcement. Um, the local constable is a little different from where I come from. You know, constables do a lot of, they have different divisions. They have traffic divisions, you know, they have warrants division. And, but out here, the constable, the one elected constable has to do all of those jobs. You know, so I, I commend Mr. Wonderlick for that because a, a constable is not an easy job. You know, and, and most of the time when a constable is out in the field, he's by himself doing that job. And so that, that makes it a little more dangerous than the average police officer because he's mostly got backup just right around the corner. The constable is all over the precinct. So I think that um, me personally, I would elect, uh, well, well, get people in different parts of the community to help me with that job. You know, and that would make people feel like, you know, hey, we're part of what they do. And because a lot of times you can't see everything, you can't be everywhere. So getting people involved would really help. And I'm not saying that nobody else is not doing that. I'm just saying this is what I would do. Get more people in different parts of the precinct involved. And if there's something going on, they can reach out to me sometimes before dispatch can. Well, the most important is our foremost job is uh, doing civil service and civil process out of Justice and Peace Court. We have to bailiff every session of court, whether it be civil, traffic, whatever. We have to be there and serve as bailiff. We serve all the uh, civil service which comes out of small claims court, which is justice peace, which is $20,000. And uh, I, I get around in the community. I stop at all the businesses, and I spend quite a bit of time in Ellinger and Carmine and the roads in between. So the primary, our primary job is to serve the commission, uh, JP office, whatever they have for civil service. The other stuff I do is, we do is uh, just because it's a service to the community. Thank you. The next question will start with you. Mr. Wonderlich, can you explain your personal background, education, work experience, and or licenses that will make you the best candidate for constable? Well, as I said earlier, I've got 29 years of uh, law enforcement, and that's all in Fayette County. I graduated high school, that's all I never went past high school. Uh, worked as a reserve for the Sheriff's Department for a couple of years and then started full time and continued with that. And just, uh, I know most of the people in my precinct, I used to know probably all, well not all of them, but most of them, but we have an influx of new people, so I don't know them all, but I have enough contacts in the area. If they need something, they know they can call me and if I'm looking to find someone on civil service, which is sometimes don't want to be found, I have enough people around that I can contact them and they'll accidentally tell me when they're home so I can get them served. I very seldom return any papers as unserved, maybe two out of 30 a year, and that's because people moved. If they're in Fayette County, I'm going to find them. Um, I started public service as 18 as a security guy. And after that, um, I did uh, contract federal security. From there, I went into uh, corrections for the Texas Department of Public Safety, Texas TDC. And from TDC, I went into law enforcement. So if I add it all up, it's around 32, 33 years. And um, I, I really think that it's time for the community to, um, um, to reach out to the young people. The young people are really not 
that enchanted with law enforcement anymore or even going into the military. And so I, I really would like to reach out to them, like start an explorer program or something like that, that these kids can actually, you know, they can interact with us and, we, and know that we're approachable because a lot of kids, they don't really want to deal with law enforcement anymore. And I want to make that change. I, I really would like to see that change because, you know, in, in, in Houston, we have explorer program where the kids can come and be honorary deputies, honorary police, police officers and all of that. And from there, you, you, we can mold their minds to, to being part of the community and doing something for the community. So many times we, we, we push them aside and we don't pay attention to what they're saying and doing, but they're the greatest asset to law enforcement. Right now, you know, I'm assistant chief in, in the school district and uh, without the kids, I couldn't do my job. The kids, they, they tell me what's going on and from there I meet the parents and then from there, all right, Mr. King, do you intend to work part-time or full-time, and will you have any jobs on the side? If so, how will it affect your ability to perform the duties of the office? Uh, I plan to work full-time. I own a security company as well. I've owned that company for about 28 years. So it, it, it's a very good income for me. And um, I plan to be here full-time. So. It shouldn't affect my income any, but I do work side jobs. I work for, um, I work for government agencies, uh, pipelines and stuff like that. And I will always do that because I believe that we have to protect what's ours. I have no other job as, except for constable. Uh, we do, constable one and precinct one and myself, we do enough right now as a, to stay here full time. We do court twice a month. In district court, we do security screening, so, and I do traffic enforcement. I have no other jobs other than being a constable, and I don't intend to have any other than that. It's a full-time job with part-time pay. Thank you. Mr. Wunderlich, how would your faith guide you in the execution of the duties of the office you are seeking? Well, your faith is, you have to have faith in the Lord, but you also have to you're bound by the law as what you can do and what you can't do. Some of the things we do are not what you like to do, but you have to do. Uh, it's difficult to evict people when they have kids, but I look back at uh, lots of those times, I didn't put those people in that situation, and I'm just a messenger. The landlords have problems, so I use, I treat people like I wanna be treated, and I treat everyone with respect until they disrespect me and then we have a different mindset after that. I treat everybody, always have like I want to be treated and that's how I live and how I work. Well, I was taught that it's God, family, then community. So I believe that my faith will guide me by bringing people together and, and not being unapproachable. I mean, I don't see strangers, I love people. You know, and I would like to see the community be more unified. And, and believe it or not, this little small community is kind of divided. You know, I'm a first generation Republican and, and I'm gonna tell you, it's even been hard for me, you know, with my family. And because, you know, they, they just don't believe, but I'm changing that, you know. So I think that my, through my faith, they, they trust me and they believe in what I say. So they follow. Thank you. Next question is for you again, Mr. King. 
What changes would you recommend that would potentially improve the functionality of the county constable position? Well, first of all, I, I'm not going to say I could do anything better than Mr. Wanderlick. He's been putting it on the line all this time. So I can't say I'll do a better job than he is, but I do have my own philosophies. I think the constable department, like I said, should be uh, reaching out to the community more. I, I'm not saying he doesn't, but I think the future is the next generation. We have to be mindful that the next generation has to know what a constable is. They need to know why we believe the way we believe, not just because we told them, but they have to form their own opinion. That's why I was a Democrat for so long, because I went with what my people said until I studied and found out for myself. And I think it's time for us to bring the community together as one, a whole. I don't know if there's a whole lot that we need to change. Right now, we've got a pretty good system in place. It works. Uh, and as far as the community, if you go to any of the fundraisers around here or anything, and you'll see me generally at probably all of them. Uh, I'm out in the community between the people. I assist with the school with bus escorts during the antique fair. And uh, I kind of interact with the kids as much as I can. I don't see that many kids uh, because normally when I serve papers, they're not home. But I try to get around and meet with the kids. And as far as school programs, that's all cost time and money. And I don't have it in my budget or I don't have the manpower because it's a one-man office and that's me. So uh, I've got to do lots of things now. And uh, I don't know uh, if the commissioners want to fund some more stuff and give me some help, then we'll talk about doing some more stuff. But right now, uh, I've got a pretty full load doing what I'm doing. All right, Mr. Wonderlick, back to you. Do you intend to participate in traffic enforcement and courthouse security? Please explain why or why not. Yes, I currently do that. Uh, I had been doing it for the last five or six years whenever the commissioners bought me a vehicle that's compatible with doing traffic enforcement instead of a Dodge truck with a V6. Uh, so I do traffic control. We started doing it the last two years. They gave us a stipend uh, to uh, continue to do traffic and courthouse security. Courthouse security started after we had an incident when we had some juveniles charge the bench after a ruling and tried to get to the judge and the prosecutors and Judge Steinhauser said after that we're going to have courthouse security on the floor. So the Constable Precinct 1 and I do courthouse security. We do screenings on the first floor. The deputies uh, and bailiffs upstairs check them again. So we've got a pretty good security system in place and yes I will do both and I have been doing both. Yes ma'am. Um, like you said, um, Courthouse security is very important because everybody that's coming to the court is not uh, there for the right reason. And I'm trained in courthouse security. I'm certified in courthouse security. Um, it, uh, I'm, I can't think of the judge's name, but up in Austin, you know, that's when it all, Kosevic uh, or something, um, that's when it all came into play, when she was uh, attacked at her home. Uh, and, and they followed her from her son's uh, baseball game and they shot her at her home. So that changed the whole law and the whole game at that point. We all had to be certified in courthouse security and we had to know what to do and not to do. And yes, I will be participating in traffic enforcement as needed. Thank you. The next question goes back to you, Mr. King. How familiar are you with the laws and regulations that govern the conduct of law enforcement officers? 
I think I'm very knowledgeable. Um, you, you know, I, I've been a marshal. Uh, I've done warrants. Uh, basically, I've done traffic control, um, fugitive recovery. Um, I've done quite a bit in law enforcement. And I think that the diversification is what we need because people always believe that it can't happen here because it hasn't happened don't mean it won't happen. And I think with that experience, bringing that, all that experience, I can see things before they happen. As they're developing, I can see them happening. And I'm familiar with some of it. I'm very familiar. We have to go to uh, continuing education training every cycle of the elections, uh, legislative cycle every four years. Uh, you have the same classes over and over. There's the liability. The conduct is taught to you. I've had that since I started in 1994. You know what's expected of you. And as law enforcement, even if you're not on duty, you pretty much live in a glass house. Everybody knows who you are and what you do, even if you're not in uniform. So you have to be aware that everybody's watching you. And these days, everybody's taking pictures and recording stuff. So uh, I know the standards and how law enforcement should carry themselves and conduct, conduct themselves, and uh, I follow that rule. Thank you. Next question, Mr. Wunderlich, starts with you. In order for citizens to gauge your effectiveness, what results would we look for in order to assess your performance? Well, on one side of it, uh, if you check the county records, JP Precinct 2 probably had more fines and did not only probably did have more fines and fees collected than any of the other precincts in the county. We get all our papers served, we run an efficient court, and uh, I think we're doing a good job. Uh, we get some, I get some complaints off of traffic stops, but nobody's gonna be happy after this, got a speeding ticket. So other than that, the general pop consensus, what I hear and what I feel is everybody feels that we're doing a good job. I think when your kids come home and telling you uh, they've met me and they know my name, and uh, I think that's gonna be one of the biggest things that's gonna help me in this community. And as I pull the community together, and this building, this room will look more diverse in the future, I think that's really gonna help not only the Republican Party, but this community. You know, because these kids, I mean, I know y'all say I harp on kids, but they're the future. And when they, your kid come home and say, I, I met Constable King, and he told me this, and he told me that, oh, I was speeding, he stopped me. He didn't give me a ticket, but he gave me a warning. I think that's gonna be one of the things that gauge, you know, how, how well I'm doing in the community, because they are my focus. All right, Mr. King, we're gonna start this next question with you. How would you handle a situation where you had to enforce a law that you personally disagree with or you believe is unconstitutional? Well, I swore oath to this state, so I have to abide by the laws first. I can't uh, enforce a law upon you that I'm not willing to abide by myself. So no matter what my personal belief is, the law comes first. As Mr. King said, you took an oath to enforce the law, and you have to, and so you may not agree with it. We have discretion on how we enforce it on most cases but you still have to enforce the law. And as far as unconstitutional, I don't know that anything's ever been challenged except for the mask mandate. If it comes down and is in law, we're gonna, it's gonna be a law that we can enforce. 
Thank you. Mr. Wunderlich, this question is back to you. Can you describe a situation where you had to make a quick decision under pressure? Yeah, when I was in the Sheriff's Department, uh, we had a subject kill his wife and son in Houston. He, they tracked him to Smithville and he was in a house and before they got him surrounded, he took off, come back to Fayette County. I was set up at Lady Bird uh, West Point at the overpass and uh, attempting to stop the vehicle. I crawled out, stopped out of my vehicle and stepped in front of him with a shotgun. I was gonna try to disable the vehicle or him and uh, he attempted to run me over. So I stepped out the way rather than firing at the car or him and creating a 100 mile an hour missile in the opposite lane of traction, traffic, I let him pass. He later, just a short distance, spun out in the ditch and when we had him surrounded, he committed suicide. Yes, sir, I had a guy that was upset with the judge in court, and he decided that he was going to uh, charge the bench. So I had to get in between him and the judge and get him out of the courtroom without anybody getting hurt. And so I did um, effectively have to tase the guy, but he was, I couldn't get him out of the court by myself because he weighed about 350 pounds. He was a lot bigger than me. So, But I was able to keep the judge safe and everybody in the courtroom safe, and that's my job. Thank you. The next question goes to you again. How do you intend to make yourself accessible to and responsive to the citizens and build trust and rapport with them within the community? Um, I plan to get to know the pastors in the community, the churches in the pastors of the churches in the community, because after all, between the kids and the faith, we could get anything done. And my other uh, thing that I would like to do, I would like to go to the different schools and meet the uh, superintendents, the principals, and things like that, and put programs in place where the kids can uh, have some uh, avenue when they're bullying. Bullying is a big thing now. It's laws against that now. And so I would like to get some kind of program that when kids are being bullied, that they have somebody they can talk to or reach out to. And that's one of the things that I'd like to put in place, all the schools in precinct, not only in precinct two, but Fayette County. Well, it's simply by doing the things I've been doing. I uh, attend all the events. I was at the education fundraiser last night in Roundtop Carmine. I go to all the church feasts. I do all the funeral escorts in Precinct 2, and I'm available every time. People call me now and ask me stuff at home, you know, when I'm not working. So I feel I am accessible. I've spent lots of time out in the community. I uh, spend lots of time in Ellinger and Carmine trying to patrol traffic, so I'm accessible. Everybody knows me. I've been here, went to school here. I've been here for 69 years, so everybody knows who I am and how to get in touch with me, and they know if they need something, all they have to do is call. Mr. Wunderlich, what do you see is the role of the constable in responding to weather and other unusual emergencies? Well, uh, two weeks ago when the gentleman decided to go boating on the Cummins Creek, uh, and the game wardens had to fish him out. Uh, I was there. I, I didn't do anything. The game warden and the fireman was in the boat, but I was there. During Hurricane Harvey, uh, other constable and I, Precinct 1, we sat at the intersection of, I believe it's Lower Line and Pecan for a week every day and kept people out of the flooded trailer houses. So uh, Sheriff's Department knows if they need something, all they have to do is call. Uh, I generally get out 
I didn't get out in the ice storm because there was enough people driving bad on the road and I didn't need to put any dents in my Tahoe. Uh, if they need, they know me, they need me, they call me. And that's how I do it. I do respond to it whenever needed and I check roads, but uh, I was at the last one and I participate in Harvey. So. The council is part of the community himself, so he needs to make sure that his neighbors are taken care of. We are our brother's keepers, even beyond law enforcement. And I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed is um, we need to have people in the community that can, at, where bridges are, are vital, to know, let us know, are those bridges flooded? One morning I was going to work and uh, I got to a bridge, a Cummins Creek Bridge, and if I had kept going, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys. You know, but I think they were waiting for daylight to assess everything, but sometimes you can't wait for daylight. You gotta get out there, especially you know, intricate bridges and, and check them out so we could get the word out. And if you got people in different parts of the community that can help you with that, it's great. All right, this will be our last question before uh, we have the audience questions. It goes to Mr. King. What do you feel is your greatest accomplishment in law enforcement? My greatest accomplishment in law enforcement is learning how to deal with people, learning how to hear what they need and trying to help them with their needs. I've learned in law enforcement, we are the servants of the people. And that has been forgotten over the years. Uh, we are not above the people. The people pay our salaries. The people are the reason why we're here. And we should serve the people in a way that the people feel they can trust us. And my greatest uh, accomplishment is I have learned how to be a community-oriented police officer. If I, 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 I can't see everything. But if I got you on my team, what you see, you tell me, and we can work together to get it done. Well, I've survived 29 years without getting shot at yet. Uh, <laughs> I've been elected four times, so I guess I'm doing something right. I graduated from the Law Enforcement Management Institute, Texas. That's 160 hours of classroom training. And uh, being able to serve the public for this long and have a pretty good with everybody in the precinct and in the, in the county. And that's what I think is my best accomplishments. I, tr I am accessible. I try to do my job the best of my abilities. And uh, that's just the way I live my life, the way I do it. Thank you very much. Uh, we will take an exactly five minute break. Uh, if you have any questions, please uh, get them up to me and then we'll come back for audience questions and closing statements. All right, candidates, we have two questions from the audience, and then we'll uh, go immediately from there to your closing remarks. Here's your first uh, question. It will, again, go in ballot order, starting with Mr. King. Mr. King, please explain the importance of an effective working relationship with other county officials, particularly with the Justice of the Peace Office. Well, it's essential that you work together. I mean, we can't do it all. I mean, it's just, I'm just one person. But you have the sheriffs, you have the local police. We're all one fist. We are united. We're a brotherhood. And uh, the justice of the peace uh, makes sure that things get done once we do the preliminary work. The justice of the peace makes sure everything gets taken care of. But yeah, we're all one. There's no Lone Ranger out here. You can't do it all. You know, I, I need the sheriffs. I need the other constables. I, I need the city police. We need DPS. Because, after all, 
there's a best kept secret. It's more of y'all than it is us. So we have to stick together. Well, I'm, that's my primary duties as a justice of the peace office. So I work really well with her. They contact me, we get together and set up civil trial court dates that does conflict with my other dates, whether we have to do district court. I help the city of LaGrange out with all the parades and what they have in town and whenever they need it. The sheriff's department also, they uh, have a good record working relationship with them. They know if they need me for anything, they'll call me. The other precinct, one constable, we work together serving papers. So I think I have an excellent working relationship with all the other elected officials and the commissioners as well. So we get along fine. Thank you. Mr. Wonderlich, the next question will go to you. This is going to be a combined question, the two that were related uh, to federal overreach uh, as it relates to Fayette County. Uh, Second Amendment issues are important to our citizens. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives routinely makes rules that outlaw previously legal guns without congressional approval. Would you arrest based on a rule that was made without congressional approval? No, I don't know. That, I haven't run into that. We don't get into any illegals. I don't get into any illegal searches. And uh, if the sheriff, if there were a weapons charge against someone, it would only come down to the sheriff's department. So I have, in 29 years, I have not arrested anybody on a weapons charge. And they change those rules every six months. If you're referring to the bump stocks and all of that, they made them, they were legal, then they're not legal. And uh, I think everybody is pretty much holding the line on, we're not really gonna enforce that unless the feds come down and make us enforce it. I want to tell everybody in this room, I would never take your gun and arrest you because you're on my team. And the federal government, they have their own ideas. But I would never take a gun from a citizen that, because of the federal government, what they say. Because at the end of the day, when we all don't have guns, and if I need your help, you can't help me because I've just crippled you. Um, and we've just recently taken a class that Governor Greg Abbott gave us that it's illegal for any peace officer to take a gun from a person in the state of Texas by government overreach. So we've just taken that class. Thank you. This will enter the closing statements portion of our evening. You each have two minutes to give your closing statements. And again, we're going in ballot order. We'll start with Mr. King. I will always be approachable. I will always be on your team. You're a part of my community and I'm a part of yours. I want to work with you, I want you to work with me. I want these children to know why we believe what we believe. I was a child that believed the Democrats was the right team. But until I learned for myself and found out what I truly believed, now I'm a Republican for life. And that's the next generation Republican right over there. And that's where it's going to, this is where it starts, but this is not where it's going to end. So I would like your vote this coming up election, and you will see me in the community if elected and if not. I was actually at that same thing, but they didn't know I was there when the, when the boat capsized. In case they needed help, I was there. So I would like your vote, and I think that you would like me to be your constable. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> I've been in this position, like I said, since 2011. Uh, I think I've treated everybody fairly. Uh, 
think I do a good job. It's hard to explain. I'm, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and trying to take care of everybody. I'm here all the time because lots of the papers and stuff we have are time sensitive. You need to get out there to serve them. So you have to be available. Not necessarily, I don't have to be on duty continuously because I can't. There's only so many hours you can put in. So the judge and I work together. If they have papers coming in, I'll go take care of them right away. Usually I'll get my papers served in the first hour of when I pick them up. You can check the logs on them. And I believe I'm doing a, a good job. And I hope that y'all all see that. I know the people in Ellinger and Carmine see it. And everywhere in between, they always see me on the road. So uh, I hope y'all will grant me your vote in the upcoming election so I can continue to serve you for four more years. Thank you, gentlemen. Good luck to each of you. Uh, our next will be the uh, county attorney's race. All right, gentlemen, welcome to the show. All right, James, can you exp Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> got, all, got right on a roll. You have two minutes for your open remarks. Three minutes. Thank you. Uh, my name is James Herbrick. I'm here with my wife and some of my family. Uh, I'm a native of Fayette County. I'm a fourth generation Fayette County native. I grew up in this community. I graduated with honors from LaGrange High School. I ended up at the University of Texas School of Nursing. I graduated with honors from the School of Nursing. I came back to Fayette County to be a registered nurse here. I was a weekend supervisor ultimately at the Karen Nursing Home. I went back to law school, went back to school with scholarships, graduated with honors in the top of my class. Uh, I wanted to come back to Fayette County. There wasn't an opening. I uh, tried to interview with Mr. Weed, but he had hired a Mr. Stryker, so I ended up in Victoria. On the weekends, I was still back here in Fayette County because this is my home. I worked at Karen on the weekends as a weekend supervisor. After about two years in Victoria, Ms. Shupak took over and I was hired and started with her on day one. I've been here ever since. I've dedicated my life to public service. I've dedicated my life to learning how to do this job. I have over 21 years of on-the-job training. I'm prepared today to take this job and I'm prepared on January 1st, 2025 to take this job. I hope for your vote. I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian, I'm a Republican. I come from a long line of Republicans. I voted many times in Fayette County as a Republican. I'm raising my kids to be Republicans. My conservative values show, all of my friends know that I am a conservative. My integrity has been impeccable. It's never been called into question. I have an open door policy at the county attorney's office. People can stop by at any time. If I'm available, I will talk to them and I always have. Our phone number has not changed in over 30 years. We receive phone calls from the public every week. People stop by every week. I am the one that they call to come talk to people when they stop by. Uh, we have had open communication with the public since I've been there. We've had an open file policy before it was mandated. That means that we give everything to the defense. We show them our file. Uh, communication has never been an issue with our office. Integrity has never been an issue with our office. Uh, we are the county attorney's office. We're a very small office. We're family. And I ask for your vote. Thank you.
Mark. Good afternoon. My name is Mark Elvig, and I am a lifelong Republican, having voted for every Republican presidential candidate since 1980 when I could first vote, and I voted for Ronald Reagan. Uh, I live with my wife in West Point, the other end of the county, uh, and I've been active in Fayette County organizations and activities uh, for m many years before I uh, ran for this office. But I'd like to serve, and that's why I'm running. Uh, I am running for this office to give you a choice for county attorney, a choice you haven't had in decades. And I think I'm the best person for this job, uh, given my experience. Now, I have no interest in making personal attacks on Mr. Herbrook, none. But I do like to educate voters and citizens, so I may raise an issue that people need to think about and, and ask themselves and learn something about. Because I think when you don't have competition for a position, you tend not to look at the things as carefully as you would with competition and questions. So that's the context in which I'm approaching it today. Um, I've heard that I am overemphasizing the management my plans to manage the department. Well, that's what it takes. You need to be a manager and a leader. You need to assemble a team that will be effective in handling all the responsibilities of this office. And I do plan to manage this office. Um, uh, but, you know, I've been accused of being a, a specialized niche corporate attorney. Well, that doesn't describe me or my experience. So let me cover that first. The first 22 years of my career, and I've been a lawyer for 40 years, graduated from the University of Texas Law School in 1984. First 22 years of my career, I did trial work, all levels of courts. And I would estimate I've done 40 to 60 trials from jury selection to verdict. I did 22 alone at the city attorney's office my first two or three years. Um, second point, I will be a leader in this office. I will assemble my team and we will uh, put together an effective team for you to rely upon in the county attorney's office. Third, I, again, I want to educate people. There is no information about the county attorney's office on the Fayette County website. That's going to change. I'm going to educate, meet with people, tell them what's going on, and, and inform them. Uh, and finally, uh, I will be ready to handle a caseload. I have done this. In my whole career, I've learned new things, excelled, and uh, succeeded. And if you need to read any endorsement, read the endorsement of my uh, chief operating officer at Core Laboratories uh, on my webpage. And I work well with people, and I've proven that in my 40 years. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now move to the prepared question section. Uh, this will start with you, James. James, can you explain how your personal background, education, and work experience make you the best candidate for county attorney? Absolutely. I've been doing this for 21 years, as I've said in my opening. I started in Victoria. I started out as a misdemeanor prosecutor. Uh, ultimately, I was the head of the misdemeanor division, which is actually bigger than the county attorney's office here in Fayette County. Uh, from that point, I was promoted to the felony division as an assistant felony drug prosecutor and I was almost immediately appointed to uh, be in charge of the theft division. So I was the head of the theft division for Victoria County. I also handled their CPS cases, I handled their traffic tickets, uh, I handled their appeals. 
when coming to this county, I've handled the appeals, I've handled the uh, traffic tickets, we've shared uh, the misdemeanor uh, punishment by fine charges and the felony caseload. I've also been in charge of the CPS caseload in this county. All of this is something that I would be doing as the county attorney as well. I think I'm the better candidate for this position because of my experience. I have 40 years of much varied experience working with people. Uh, I, again, the trial work for the first 22 years. In my last position at a law firm, I was uh, selected and elected to be the partner in charge of the 40-lawyer Houston office of a 300-member regional law firm. People recognize that I can get along with people, can organize them, can work with them, and that sort of thing. Then I went into the corporate world, in-house. I didn't know any of those topics when I started. Yet, I was assistant general counsel for 16 months, then my boss retired. I took over as general counsel of the New York Stock Exchange, $8 billion company with 5,000 employees, and remained in that position for 13 and a half years. Uh, I, was, I have succeeded at that level, and I worked with people. And the, the experience there is we had a, a general counsel and we had one assistant general counsel for that large of a company. So I have worked in small settings, organizing, setting policy, and doing the work myself. And all of that has led me to have success in my career. And I think I can translate that to this next position. Thank you, Mark. The next question starts with you. What is your motivation to run for this position and how many years do you expect to serve? Okay. My motivation to run, again, I have uh, been out in Fayette County uh, for 16 years. I've lived here full-time two and a half, and I've been very involved in the county. I love the county. I love the people of the county. I, this is my home. So I want to serve the people of Fayette County, and this is one way for me to do that uh, in addition to what I've done in the past. Uh, but mainly, I want to give people a choice. They haven't had a choice in this race. It's just been passed from one person to the next for decades. I want to give people a choice. After you learn about me and, and figure who I am and assess my capabilities, you can make a judgment as to who you think is the better candidate. But I've got to give people a choice. Um, and so that's what's motivating me, is to serve and do a good job. I want to shed the light on things in the county attorney's office and take care of things and bring my OCD personality to that office and uh, attend to matters quickly, promptly, get good answers, and work with the people in the county. Well, my motivation is this is my home. I love law enforcement. I've been largely endorsed by law enforcement because of my support of them. Uh, as a kid, as a youth in this community, I rode around with the law enforcement officers. I was a volunteer at EMT. Uh, this community has always been my community, going back four generations, and I've always wanted to serve this community. Uh, going to law school, the only area of law that I really enjoyed was criminal practice and the prosecution side. Uh, it was very exciting, it was very fun, and so I decided that that's what I was going to dedicate my career to. Uh, I always wanted to come home, I wanted to be a part of this community, I wanted to take care of my family and I wanted to be close to my family. So did my wife. We were both from this community. As far as how long do I plan on being here, I'm in the middle of my career. I've had 21 years of uh, law enforcement, 21 years as a prosecutor. Uh, I don't know exactly how many terms I plan on working. 
but I do plan on retiring as a county attorney. Thank you. Mr. Herbrick, how would your faith guide you in the execution of the duties of the office that you are seeking? I'm a Christian. Uh, my faith guides me in everything that I do, uh, and including my work. So I have to follow the law. I have to abide by what the law says. But my faith is the first thing that I look at every day. I pray. I'm very religious. And it is my guiding principle in life. Uh, faith is very important to me as well. I'm involved with my church and have been uh, involved with churches throughout my life. Um, but uh, my obligation is to work with people. You know, and if God, God has a plan. If God means for me to have this job, he will uh, help me with that goal. I really do want this job, and I ask for God's uh uh, providence in providing for that. But faith is very important. Uh, faith and family. Um, so all of that is very important and we can't lose sight of that. And so I pray to God regularly for guidance in this election and this position should I be elected. Thank you. The next question goes back to you, Mark. Describe the challenge the increased felony caseload presents to the county attorney's office and what can be done to help improve the efficient disposition of these cases? Well, let me, let me start that. I, was, I read that uh, in the paper, in, uh, I think on December 15th, that it's been described or stated that the felony caseload in Fayette County has tripled since 2005. Whatever the source of that increase is, it's tripled according to the office. So I need to find a way to deal with that to keep the citizens of Fayette County safe. That's my primary goal in this job, uh, both in prosecutions and otherwise, is keeping the people safe. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I want to follow the rules here, but there's a case that I'm particularly interested in, uh, the Rafael Romero case, and I'm going to get into that at some point, and maybe this isn't the right form for it, but there's an individual who was never convicted, let out, and murdered a 16-year-old cheerleader in Edna. I want to find out why. What happened in that case? And what can we learn from that case to better protect the citizens of Fayette County and make sure we're safe? Well, for starters, when we started, uh, we took over in 05, the disposition of cases, 38% were more than 180 days old. That number's dropped to less than 20%. One of the things that we did to speed up the disposition of cases is we went in with several other counties to hire our own drug analysis. And so now we're paying a salary for someone to run drug cases, so instead of waiting a year for drug results, we're getting those drug results back in two months. So that has really picked up the way we can handle cases and how fast we can dispose of them. Uh, the increased caseload, it's been 20 years. Our borders are wide open. Uh, the federal government came to us and asked if we would prosecute cases in our county, if we could stop drug trafficking through our county because they like the way we prosecute cases, they like how tough we are on these cases. So we get a lot of DEA tips that knock down major loads in our county. And the reason for that is because they actually want us to prosecute these cases. They can stop them in any of the neighboring counties, they don't. They stop them here in Fayette County because we are tough on crime. 
I can't account for an increased caseload because of what's going on at our border. I can't account for an increased caseload because of the drugs that are flowing by, but we have done a lot to stop the drugs. We've increased the number of officers that we have uh, fourfold in far as uh, dealing with the drugs on the streets. When I came here, we had one uh, officer that was dealing with narcotics. We now have four that deal solely with narcotics. Uh, all of our law enforcement agencies have increased in size, and that's what accounts for our size and caseload. Uh, this question is again back to you, James. Thank you. Uh, James, regarding the restrictions on gatherings, business closures, and masks forced upon us by the state during the COVID crisis, what was the constitutional basis for these mandates, and did you support them? I don't believe there was a constitutional basis for these mandates. I believe that they were unconstitutional. Uh, we did not arrest anybody for failing to wear a mask. We told all law enforcement we felt that that was unconstitutional. Uh, we encouraged people to be safe. We encouraged people to do the procedures and precautions that they felt comfortable with, but we did not mandate anybody do any particular practice or procedure. Now, the, as far as what different law enforcement agencies did, I can't speak for that. I can only tell you what we advised from our office. We did have several businesses call. They wanted us to arrest people at the door when people were coming in without masks. We told them we could not do that. Uh, that was not a constitutional past law. I don't think one person has the right to decide what a crime is. I think that needs to go through the legislature. It needs to be voted on by the people before we can institute a crime. So we did not enforce a mass mandate, and we were not the ones that were shutting down the county. That was the governor's office. Uh, well, I didn't support them. I'll just say that. As to the constitutional basis, this is going to be like a lot of other legal questions in theory. Uh, I have not taken the time to study the constitutionality of every act that's ever taken. What, what I do as a lawyer, and what most lawyers do, is you wait for an actual case or controversy to come before you, and then you research it. And you, you determine what's the law, what are the facts, in, in a concrete case versus, in theory, this, that, and the other. But I did not support the mandates. Uh, of the masks uh, and I'm very thankful we weren't in other states where the restrictions were so much worse than in Texas uh, and probably still are but I hope that answers the question. Mr. Obel, we'll start with you on this next one. In order for citizens to gauge your effectiveness at the end of your first term what results would we look to in order to assess your performance? Okay two things I can think of. One, do they feel better educated about what the county district attorney does? Uh, what our office is responsible for? Statistics of what we have accomplished during my term. That will be published and made known on a statistical basis uh, on the website. And so this is information that citizens can gather. The second thing is I want people to feel, and I think they will, you know, he was fair. He worked with people. Uh, I know there's a lot of reluctance from the, the law enforcement or whoever's in position now to, in, to embrace me, to endorse me, but my success will be at the end of my term that they said, you know, he's doing a good job. He's, he's made a good county attorney. And I think they will. Uh, as to, you know, these endorsements, not one of them has spoken to me about 
my views or my position, but I hope to win everyone I'm over by working well with them and with the citizens of Fayette County. Well, I think they can gauge my effectiveness today. I think they could ask officers in the community. They could ask people that know me the, the best. They can ask the court personnel. They can ask the district clerk's office, the county clerk's office. They can ask any officer that I work with. They can ask the sheriff. They can ask the constables. Uh, they're all going to tell you, vote for James Herbrick. They're all going to tell you to vote for me because they know what type of person I am, they know how hard I work, they know how well I know the law, they know how fairly I treat people, they know how hard I am on criminals. And that is the reason they endorse me. They endorse me because of who I am. And a year from now, I'm gonna be the same person, they're still gonna be endorsing me. They're still gonna stand behind me because of the record that I've created and the person that I am. Thank you. James, this next question uh, starts with you. Describe your trial experience with number and types of cases, including any appellate cases, if any. Okay, I have been the appellate uh, aspect of our office, so any of the writs, any of the appeals that have come through, I've done those. Uh, I've been in front of the 13th Court of Appeals during oral argument. I had one case in front of the 3rd Court of Appeals. I didn't actually perform the oral argument, but I did the brief for that oral argument. Uh, but other than that, I've done all the appeals here. Uh, my trial experience, I sat first chair on a murder case. I sat first chair on two CPS cases. I've sat second chair on two sexual assault cases, on an aggravated, these are all felony cases, on an aggravated assault case with a deadly weapon. Uh, I've sat second chair on several other cases in Victoria. Uh, I, sat for, I tried four DWIs by myself. Um, I've had probably 100 jury trials on traffic tickets. Uh, bench trials, 20 to 30 at least, most of those being CPS cases, uh, probably actually closer to 100 on the CPS end. I don't keep actual statistics. We're in trial all the time. Uh, jury trials, less than one major jury trial a year we've gone to trial on. Uh, and I've had varying roles in those jury trials. Okay. Well, I started off at the city attorney's office in Houston, and you talk about trial by fire. Uh, one of my earliest cases, my boss came in and said, you're, here's a file, you're picking a jury at 1.30. I never heard of the file, never read the file. I had to assemble the witnesses, go down, this is a state district court case, uh, and go down and defend the city against the allegations against it on a personal injury case. Again, I've tried 40 to 60 cases to verdict, picking the jury, and I was first chair in those trials. I wasn't helping third chair and fourth chair and all that. I was first chair with the responsibility to, and, and one of them was involving in federal court, the, the, a business was being sued and, and somebody was trying to take them out of business. Well, the pre, you talk about the pressure, you don't want to lose that case and have your client lose their business. Uh, I've handled appeals. I've argued twice to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in uh, New Orleans. One was before a three-judge panel, and one was the entire en banc 15-judge panel on the constitutionality of a city ordinance. And I even wrote the, the brief to get it to the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, and they accepted the case. Unfortunately, my boss said, I'll take this one now, and he flew to Washington. And, but otherwise, I would have argued in the U.S. Supreme Court. But I've handled all kinds of appeals uh, and trials, serious cases, for those 22 years. Thank you. Mark, the next question is back to you again. Are diversion and mentor programs for first-time offenders 
utilized in Fayette County? If so, describe them, and what, if anything, you would change? Okay. Well, let me answer that by observing something. I went online to Fayette County, to the county attorney link, the district attorney link, to try to get more information about what do they do, divergent programs or any other program. And there isn't even a link to the county attorney's office. So it's hard to get information that's publicly available about this office. So I, I'm not going to sit here and come up with some answer about divergent programs and what do they do and how effective are they. I will learn that when I get in a position to learn it, but I don't know the answer to that specific question right now. We use pretrial diversion rarely. Um, usually it's a college student who's made a mistake. Uh, it's not a violent offense or anything like that. We'll put them on what's called a pretrial diversion. Uh, possession of marijuana is the main offense that we typically use pretrial diversion. And in that case, it's someone that doesn't have a criminal history, they've had marijuana, we'll put them on a pretrial diversion so that they can go to college, it won't affect them, but they're still on probation. They still follow all the other terms and conditions that you would on probation. They have to drug test, they have to stay clean, they're on probation for a year. They are required to report in Fayette County. Um, other counties do uh, pretrial diversions that they don't run through the court system. We've wanted to be transparent with that, so we, we instigated it. We go through the court system. Everything is filed public record. Anybody can see that. Uh, but the pretrial diversions, when we do that, it does allow those people to file to clean their records so that they can go on and have careers and not have those things haunt them. Uh, our children are haunted with drugs right now across the nation. It's very uh, common for children to smoke marijuana and we don't want that to affect their long uh, lives, follow them the rest of their lives. So in that area, we do pretrial diversions. Other than that, they're used very sparingly. Thank you. Mr. Herbrick, given that federal agencies like the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms are publishing unconstitutional rules banning things such as forced reset triggers and pistol braces, and given that many law-abiding Fayette County citizens could be deemed felons overnight, how would you approach cases involving violations, violations of such rules, and what would you recommend be done to protect our citizens? So, for starters, that's all federal laws and federal regs that doesn't have really anything to do with our officers and how we enforce laws because we're not allowed to enforce federal laws. We did have a situation not too long ago, it made the papers, uh, a young man had one of those devices, the federal government wanted to come down and seize it. He actually spoke to our sheriff's office and asked if they would be there as standby to make sure nothing went wrong. He did not trust the federal government, but he did trust our sheriff's office. So our sheriff's office was out there at his request to make sure everything was safe and that he was not hurt or harmed. He made the decision to turn that device over to the federal government. Uh, we were not called about that, but the sheriff's office handled that very wonderfully. Uh, they did not tell the young man to turn it over. They took no part in that. They were just there for security purposes at his request. We are not there to enforce federal laws. That is for the federal government. We work with all of our federal agencies, uh, but we're not here to take away people's guns or uh, their devices that they believe are legal. We can only enforce state laws. Well, protecting our citizens is first and foremost uh, the, uh, the priority of our uh, office, of our officials, uh, and I would do that. Um, I am a big Second Amendment believer. Uh, I own guns. I believe other people should own them, and I would protect that right. 
as to the details of a specific federal regulation and how would I deal with that, again, I go back to my 40 years of experience and how I've dealt with any issue. I, I get involved with it, I learn about it, and then figure out what the law is and what the facts are and then make a decision. It is so hard to be asked a question, what would you do in, in theoretical situation X? Well, I don't know what the details are. And I don't mean to be dodging the question. I can just tell you as a Republican, I've got conservative values, I believe in the Second Amendment, and I would protect those rights. That's what I can say. Thank you. The next question goes uh, back to you, Mark. What would you do to improve the timely response to requests from county departments for legal advice? Well, I would assemble a team, and on the, member, uh, the members of those teams would know the importance of being timely and prompt with a response to a question that's asked. And I just had to deal with this in an open records request or a, a county commissioner's county court uh, issue where they passed a rule in December of 22 to require exempt employees to track their time when campaigning for office, so I made a request for that information. Hey, here are the minutes. And I was told by the county attorney's office 13 months later, well, that rule never got enacted, we never finalized the language, you know, we never got, we never did anything with it. So I, it was on the agenda two weeks later, I said, what happened? And the county commissioners said, well, we dropped the ball on that one, but we're just going to rescind the rule. So you don't get anything. It's, you know, some vague, but, but what I need to do, and this is what we need a fresh look at it, is to, when something gets enacted or passed by the county commissioners or anybody else, I need to put it into force timely and responsibly. And that's what I will do. And I'm afraid too many of those things are getting dropped now. Well, we all have our different roles in the office. Um, as far as my role has been concerned, I've never had a complaint that I was not timely. I carry my cell phone on me. People call me on the weekends. Uh, they send me emails. They know how to get a hold of me. I stop what I'm doing if I can, and I get back with them. Usually that day, if not when I answer the phone call, I tell them over the phone what my response is. Sometimes I have to look into the matter, uh, but I'm usually not past the end of the day. I get their answer back to them. Uh, Mr. Watson works on the civil side. He gets the brunt of those questions. Uh, he has a lot of stuff that he's going on, but his majority of his job is responding to those requests. That's not the majority of my role, so I don't get that many questions, so I'm able to really answer the questions that I get from county departments pretty fast. He has a lot more difficult questions that require research. Those take time, but that's the reason we have him there for us, to answer those questions in a timely manner. Uh, there's not a team of attorneys answering questions. We have one attorney dedicated to that, that role. Uh, we're a very small attorney's office. We cannot hire 10 attorneys and have teams to do these sort of things. We have three attorneys in our office. They're all working attorneys. They all have their roles, and you have to work in this job. You have to do a lot of man hours actually doing the work. Thank you. The next question goes back to you, James. It's a little bit lengthy. I'll be happy to repeat it if you need me to. Uh, everyone loves to hate drug cartels, but some civil asset forfeiture cases target regular citizens. How can you claim adequate due process when property is seized prior to conviction and without court-appointed representation? Property is seized, a petition is filed, 
and then due process occurs. The uh, property is not seized without usually drugs being found on the person. Uh, so the due process angle is that there's a civil lawsuit, they can file their answers, they can file their claims, they can sue us for recovery of the property, they can file damages claims against them. It is a lawsuit. Uh, the property is seized up front with the drugs. We have to safe keep it. It's also seized as evidence. Uh, where they stored it, where they kept it. Uh, not everybody that gets pulled over with drugs in their car do we take their, their property. Uh, typically, we don't. Uh, it's very rare that an individual is going to have their stuff seized. But when they do have their stuff seized, it's because they're violating a felony law and they do have due process. Again, they can make their own claims against us for taking something improper. Uh, they have all the same rights and stuff that you have in a divorce, or uh, a case where we take your children away. It's the same level of due process to terminate your parental rights it is to take uh, stuff away from you that we seize. Uh, so those people that claim that that's not due process, they just don't know what the rules, the procedures, and what is available. Uh, if I can take your children away with the same level of due process I can take your car away, I think you're getting pretty good due process. Well, I think, uh, let me preface my answer by saying I'm coming into this office without predetermined notions or without predetermined friends and foes. I'm going to treat everybody fairly, whether it's a, a civil asset forfeiture case, a charge, or anything else. That's, that's my approach to this office. Uh, I think there is due process afforded in any number of ways for those types of cases and others. The judge is going to be involved. The county attorney is going to be involved, district attorney. Uh, other people in the, in the uh, judicial system. Uh, so I think due, uh, due process is afforded, and I would see that it's afforded to all people, not just my friends or not just my favorite group, but to everybody. Because I think that's the only way our system works, is if everybody gets a fair day to represent themselves, to make their case, and then we make a decision. Thank you. Mr. Elvig, can you describe a situation where a law may be unconstitutional, and what challenge would it present with respect to enforcement? Well, I can think of a lot of laws that might be unconstitutional. Uh, again, the difficulty in answering a question is hypothetical what's unconstitutional. But if somebody believes that what they're being charged with is unconstitutional, uh, it's going to pose a problem to enforcement because they're going to resist. Uh, because they say, listen, you can't, the state or the federal government can't do that to me. And so it's going to escalate things uh, with them. Um, you know, I don't want people to be charged with or convicted of unconstitutional laws. It's about what I can say on that. Again, the, the mass mandate was what I felt was an unconstitutional law. The way we dealt with that is we called all heads of the agencies. We told them that we would not advise that you arrest people for failing to wear a mask. We did not believe it was unconstitutional. We also didn't feel like we had facilities to address that. We also suggested you not write tickets for it because we would not be prosecuting or moving forward with those tickets. Uh, 
the way you address that is you do it through education and you do it through your law enforcement officers. Uh, there have been several statutes over the years that have been declared unconstitutional, and the way we've handled that is we've had legislative update classes. We've talked to the officers. We've gone over specific scenarios where this law was declared unconstitutionally vague and is no longer something you can make an arrest on. Sometimes things are declared unconstitutional and it, it kind of surprises you. Uh, the, the Supreme Court will say that the statute itself was not clear enough for someone to understand what was going on and it's unconstitutionally vague. And so we've had that happen several times over my career. Uh, there have been other cases where people have been enforcing a statute and the Supreme Court said this is unconstitutional. Uh, sodomy would have been one of those cases that had been enforced way before my time. It was declared unconstitutional, but it still stayed on the penal code. And so we had to make sure people understood that that was unconstitutional. And it kind of seemed silly, but going to legislative update classes, they would always talk about it because it was still on the penal code. And it took many years for them to remove that statute from the penal code. Thank you, James. This question is for you again. In your opinion, what are the consequences of the massive influx of illegal aliens into Texas opposing to Fayette County? And how do you think it affects the workload of the Fayette County Attorney's Office? So we've seen an increase in trafficking cases. We've seen a large increase in drug cases. Uh, drugs are flowing freely across the border. Um, we, we absorb that caseload. Uh, part of the reason we've been able to absorb that caseload is because we don't have to go study and read a book. Um, when forfeiture cases come across your desk, they're very timely. You have to get those petitions filed. You have to get the people served. Uh, especially when you're dealing with people that are illegal and they're going to bond out. You have to get them identified. You have to get them served before they bond out. These things have to be done within a day or two or you'll never get service for that forfeiture case. Uh, most of these people go back across the border. You don't see them until they get arrested two, three years down the road. Uh, you have to be on your toes. You have to be ready to, to uh, answer questions. You have to be able to do search warrants in the middle of the night. You have to uh, be able to do uh, a large sort of things and be able to shift your caseload and shift what you're working on during the middle of the day. Uh, so we execute search warrants for cell phones. We execute search warrants for homes. Uh, and those sort of things. When you see uh, a big arrest in the paper and, and five people are arrested, you have to understand that there were three search warrants written uh, that day so that those things could happen. Intel came in, we go to another house and we hit that house. More intel comes in, we get another search warrant, we go to another house. All of those things have to be evaluated, they have to be drafted, they have to be looked over and approved and taken to a judge. And that is where the knowledge base comes in. Well, first of all, I think the massive influx is a tragedy. It's an invasion of our country, uh, and it affects Fayette County, it affects all other counties, heck, it affects other states, and we need to do what we can to combat that. Um, so I think it affects the caseload in, in Fayette County, whether it's drugs, uh, violent crimes, home invasions, whatever, but it puts the people in Fayette County at risk. And so I go back to the one case I know about, having read the papers, and that's the Rafael Romero case. He was an undocumented migrant, charged with a second-degree felony of burglary of a house in Schulenburg. They never tried the case against him. He was facing, if convicted, between two and 20 years of prison time or deportation, but that didn't happen. They pled out the case. There was no trial, no conviction, no jail time, and he went out and murdered this 16-year-old uh, eight months later. 
That's a problem. And I don't want it to be just that case. It's, it could be cases like that. We need to put an end to that sort of thing and keep the citizens of Fayette County safe, especially in light of the, of the invasion of our country by people from the southern border or any other border. So uh, I think it's a big problem. Mr. Elvig, back to you. What do you feel are your greatest strengths which will help you succeed as the county attorney? My greatest strengths are my 40 years of experience and seeing a lot of different situations. That has taught me how to deal with situations, how to learn about cases and facts and that sort of thing. My other is my ability to work with people and be rewarded and recognized for that as both being a partner in charge of a Houston law firm and general counsel of an $8 billion company uh, and having the trust of the executive management team that I was a part of. Uh, so I think that's my, one of my greatest experiences or successes is what I have succeeded at and how I have been successful in my career in different things and this would be another one and I th view as a challenge and I think I would make a great uh, county attorney and represent the citizens of Fayette County very well. 21 years of on-the-job training, 21 years of knowing what an effective plea bargain is and when a punishment is a strong punishment. Mr. Elvig has spoken about a case where the guy was punished to the max. He burglarized a habitation that was under construction, not a home where people were living. He stole an air compressor and two mirrors and a mantle. He was prosecuted for the highest crime possible, not for a theft, not for a burglary of a building, but a burglary of a habitation. He was placed on probation for five years, a felony probation, which is a serious conviction under federal law, which means it's a deportable offense. That's the farthest we can go when it comes to deportation. We can set them up for deportation. We do not deport criminals. We're not the federal government. So knowing the nuances and knowing those things, and, and he's, his criticism of that is because he doesn't understand the process. He doesn't understand Mr. what a strong um, punishment is. I, I was, apologize. I was just about to congratulate everybody on being civil, but this will be your first warning on that. Thank you. Thank you. Knowing the punishment range for offenses, knowing those details, you have to know that. You have to know what a good punishment is. And that is my strongest characteristic here that makes me eligible for this office is I know what I'm doing. Thank you. Next question is for James. Do you see your role as a county attorney as administrative only or in the trenches trying cases? Absolutely in the trenches. This is not an administrative job only. Again, it is a very small offense. If you want to manage a bunch of people, the county would have to double our budget. We are not here to manage a bunch of people. The ladies in our office do their job very well. They've been well trained. They have a lot of experience. They do not need management. They are busy. They're doing their work. They're getting it done. When you're the county attorney, you're helping try the cases, you're talking to the officers, you're evaluating the evidence, you're presenting the cases in front of the grand jury, you are doing the work and you have to know what you're doing. You have to understand the law and the law is massive. This is a niche practice. 
very different from any other area of law. There are many special rules, including ethic rules, that apply to prosecutors. There are special confidentiality rules. We're not out communicating with the public on a lot of the things that we do because it's illegal. There are confidentiality rules that we have to follow. There's criminal statutes we have to follow. There's civil statutes we have to follow. There's a wide range of law that we have to know that only county attorneys know. And I'm the only one with 21 years of on-the-job experience that has that experience. Uh, I am definitely going to be an in-the-trenches person. Uh, I am not administrative only. As I explained earlier, our staff at Core Laboratories, a much bigger operation, was smaller than what the county attorney's office was. We had two lawyers. They have three. I had to roll up my sleeves and do a lot of the work with my assistant uh, on those cases. I will definitely be involved. I am not just going to sit there in some uh, wood-paneled office and say, you, 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 you. It's I'm going to be the one in very heavily involved in setting the direction and in trying cases, uh, responding to citizens, all of the things that a county attorney does. Thank you. Next question, uh, back to you, Mark. What role does loving your neighbor play in your life, and how would it affect your service to the county? Well, uh, I think I get along well with, with people, neighbors and otherwise. Um, I certainly try not to, to uh, anger or um, uh, build up you know, camps of different viewpoints. I try to get a consensus. So I try to understand what people want, how to work with them, and how to build a, co a consensus and get something done. So uh, yeah, that's very much how I have practiced in my career and what I view. I don't like conflict of just arguing with people or it's my way or the highway. You've got to build a consensus and that's what I think I've done. Well, I've been involved with the county since I was a little kid. Uh, I've volunteered all over this county. I've been president of my men's club, president of the treasurer, uh, the trustees. I've been a Boy Scout scoutmaster. I've been involved in war on drugs. I've been on, involved in Crime Stoppers. I volunteered in fundraisers from St. John to Winchester. Uh, I've been volunteering my entire life. Service is what I'm about. I serve this community. When Hurricane Harvey went through, I was in people's houses carrying out their wet appliances and their furniture. I was kicking sheetrock out. Uh, I was walking around the community picking up trash. Uh, these are the things that I've done. Uh, I was a scoutmaster with the Boy Scouts for two years. I was an assistant scoutmaster with them. I was president of my local farm bureau for about 10 years. Uh, I've been highly involved with my church since I've been back. Um, church fundraisers, I've held fundraisers for people that have had cancer and were dying in. Uh, I've been involved with a lot of those type of fundraisers. Service is something that I've done, but including at the office, I've done a lot of pro bono work at the office. I've helped people that were indigent, could not do it. And I've also served in that role in neighboring counties. I've been asked by uh, every county around us to come prosecute cases because of their respect in me and the way I handle cases. And I've done that on a pro bono for free basis as well. All right, Mr. Herbert, this next question starting with you. What do you feel is your greatest accomplishment as an attorney so far? My greatest accomplishment is my, the work that I've done for victims, victims of sexual violence, victims of uh, physical violence, murder victims. 
Uh, I've helped in several murder prosecutions. I first chaired one murder trial. Uh, I've tried several sexual assault cases. Uh, we've received uh, 10 or 11 life sentences. We, uh, we obtained a 75-year sentence in my first jury trial here. Uh, we've also had several uh, large sentences, 50, 25, 35, uh, those sort of things. Uh, so my biggest accomplishment is just representing the victims. I have obtained and represented more protective order victims, uh, victims of domestic violence, than all the other attorneys in Fayette County combined. I don't have to seek protective orders for victims of domestic violence, but I do that because I care. And again, I've received more, I've obtained more protective orders for people of domestic violence than all the other attorneys combined, and those were all done for free, not being paid like most of the other ones that were done. Uh, my greatest accomplishment is the good blessings I've had over 40 years to succeed in every job I've ever held. And they are different jobs throughout my career. And to represent my clients well, to be successful for them, that's, that's probably my, my greatest uh, accomplishment. But I want to include in that the most interesting accomplishment I ever had was I was defending Savage Arms, the rifle, the gun manufacturer out of Massachusetts, who had been sued for a personal injury case in Alaska, a fairly gun-loving state. So instead of just trying the case and going that way, I drafted legislation that passed the Alaska House giving immunity to gun manufacturers and made it retroactive, it passed the Senate in Alaska, went up to the governor, and he vetoed it on the last day. But I think that was the most interesting thing, was getting involved in the legislative process to draft legislation that actually passed both houses in Alaska to protect my client. That's my greatest, but that's the most enjoyable and most interesting uh, accomplishment I've had. Thank you. This is the last of our prepared questions. It'll be for James. I invite the audience to uh, write your questions down for the audience participation portion. Uh, last prepared question, James. If you were the county attorney regarding practicing law on the side, would your policy be to prohibit such practice or to allow it? I would allow it. Uh, the main reason is because that's the only way we're able to help those people that we help that are indigent. Uh, but I would control it. There wouldn't be a large practice coming out of our office. And there isn't a large practice coming out of our office. Uh, all of the cases that I've handled have always been for free. Uh, it's always been somebody that had a, a difficult situation and could not afford legal counsel. Uh, Mr. Watson, who works in our office, he was involved in a firm when he came here four years ago. He had to wrap up that firm. And so he had a few cases that drug on for a little bit, but he's wrapped those cases up. Uh, he takes on maybe three or four cases a year at the most, uh, but it does not affect his work practice in our office. And as long as it's not affecting the practice, I would keep that open. Uh, but if it would be an issue where it's affecting what we're doing here, then I would apply to be under the Professional Prosecutors Act. In uh, that way, it would prohibit us from having a legal practice out of our office. Uh, I'm very proud of the private work that I have done. Uh, I've helped a lot of people who otherwise would not have been able to afford legal counsel. And I'm only able to do that because we're allowed to have a legal practice out of our office. Uh, with regard to myself, I would be, to answer kind of question, uh, I would be full-time. I would not have a private practice on the side for me. 
the issue comes down to if other assistants are allowed to have a private practice, is it taking away from their effectiveness as county attorneys for Fayette County? And I'm seeing an example in dealing with the commissioner's court issue that I raised a little bit earlier, that I think the responsiveness is being affected by that. And if, it, if somebody cannot be timely and responsive to the citizens of Fayette County, the Commissioner's Court of Fayette County, anybody else in Fayette County, then they can't work outside of the office. First and foremost responsibility is to work for the County Attorney's Office, for the citizens of, of Fayette County. So I'm not gonna allow somebody to do it, especially if it harms their performance for the county. Uh, and I would need to assess that when I get into the position, but my inclination is, you can't have a private practice and still represent the citizens of Fayette County, especially if your private practice is in another county. So I, I would uh, lean against that um, as from what I know right now. Uh, thank you both gentlemen. Uh, we're gonna take a five minute break. It is now 3.31, we'll resume at 3.36 uh, with audience questions and closing remarks. Uh, I would like to thank both of you for staying on task and advocating for yourselves and uh, we will continue to do so. All right, we have uh, a series of questions from the audience. First question, races, races can be heated and test friendships and neighbors. After this election, what will you do to ensure harmony? Well, I don't know that we've gotten that heated as the paper has suggested. Uh, I think Mark and I are still friends. Again, I'm running for the county attorney's office. I'm not running against Mr. Elvig. Uh, I'm running on my experience, I'm running on my record and what I've done. And uh, I don't think that we're gonna have hard feelings for each other when this is over with. Uh, I definitely don't have hard feelings for Mr. Elvig, but we are both hotly wanting to win this race and we're trying to get our message out there of who we are and what we're about. Well, I, again, I'll, I'll echo what he said. I don't have any personal animosity toward Mr. Herbrook. Um, and so I don't, I don't envision that as a problem. It hasn't been a problem. This, in fact, we sat together at the same table at the LaGrange Chamber of Commerce uh, fundraiser a week ago. Uh, so I don't think that's a problem. Uh, but let me make it clear, I'm not running for Mr. Herbrook's job. I'm running for his boss's job. And I think I need to bring new direction to that position. Uh, and I'm not looking to replace him, per se, as the assistant county attorney. But I think I can do some good as the county attorney. Thank you. Next question, we'll go to you first, and is related to the first. In discussing past cases, can you explicitly assure us to respect the victim's privacy if the case has local and close ties to current Fayette County residents? I will respect confidentiality of anyone that comes before the county attorney's office of any information that I have access to. Um, you know, my, my desire is to educate the, the citizens of Fayette County as to statistics, numbers, uh, what we emphasize, education, this is what we do, that sort of thing. But I will certainly respect confidentiality of individual citizens of Fayette County. So every case we handle has local ties almost. Um, we do very, uh, a very good job respecting confidentiality. 
One of the things that we do when we have a, a victim of uh, sexual assault or something is we fill out what's called a pseudonym affidavit. So in addition to trying to protect their, their name, we don't even put their name in the charging document. Uh, we take their names out of all of the uh, defense documents and substitute it with that pseudonym. And the defense counsel is aware of and the defendant is aware of that we operate based off of pseudonyms. Uh, we do a lot of things to protect the confidentiality. We don't do press releases. Uh, when Mr. Balin asks for our side, we tell him no comment. Uh, we're very guarded in how we do press releases uh, to do the best that we can to protect the uh, confidentiality of these records. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, that looks bad in the paper when the other side is quoted and we're not. Uh, but it's very hard in a small community for those things not to get out. Thank you, Mr. Herbert. This next question will go to you first. The office that you are running for is actually the combined offices of county attorney and district attorney. How will your responsibilities differ in these two offices and how do you plan to divide your time between them? Okay, that is actually false. Uh, we, this is a county attorney's office. It's not the district and county attorney's office. And we keep hearing that, that as a misnomer. Uh, so this office is a county attorney, and its jurisdiction covers everything. It covers misdemeanors, it covers felonies, it covers uh, CPS. We represent the county. Uh, the office is like 33 other counties in the state of Texas. We are set up to be a county attorney's office. We are answerable to the county. If I, would, uh, if I was a county attorney and I would fall ill and no longer be able to hold that position, commissioner's court would appoint my replacement. If we were a district attorney's office, we'd be answerable to the legislature and they would appoint our replacement. So we are not a district attorney's office. We are a county attorney's office with felony jurisdiction. We just happen to have jurisdiction over things that a district attorney's office has and a county attorney's office has. We do everything. We're a one-stop shop. Uh, well, I would divide my time by whatever came in the door that required my time to do it. And if that was more uh, state law violations or state law issues, I would divide my time accordingly. I can't sit here and say I'm going to do 40% this, 60% that, or this, that, and the other. It's going to depend on what comes in and what I'm responsible for uh, enforcing and, and doing. So uh, I will handle all responsibilities and take the leadership role in all responsibilities that the county slash district attorney's office requires. Uh, and I'll just uh, respond as, as events unfold. Thank you. Next question is for you, Mr. Elvig. As county attorney, will you support woke or left-leaning initiatives such as DEI, which stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion in your office? Uh, I don't subscribe to any of that. I'm, I'm very thankful in the time I grew up in, that wasn't an issue. Uh, and I, I find it hard to believe what it's like growing up as a young person today, given all the wokeism that's out there. Uh, and I just, I think it's a terrible thing for young people, uh, the, what's going on and all of that. And, and, it, and it stifles the real important things that we have to do. So I'm not a wokest or wokest philosopher or whatever it is. I am very conservative and I uh, like to keep it the other way. DEI is more something you see in the private practice. Uh, companies that would uh, subscribe to DEI to get federal grants, those sort of things. 
uh, it's not an issue that would come across in the county attorney's office. As far as, as far as woke processes or woke laws or that sort of thing, we haven't had an issue with woke pro uh, laws and that sort of stuff. Uh, they have led to some really weird and absurd results. Uh, we're going to follow the law. We're going to be respectful of people's uh, uh, feelings and, and their, uh, their philosophies. Uh, but we are not a woke practice here. And, uh, and most of what I've heard from woke practices have led to some, some really uh, bad results. And so that is not something we ascribe to. Thank you. And this will be the last of the audience questions before your closing remarks. Uh, this will go to James first. In big cities, it seems like a lot of crimes are not being prosecuted anymore. How will you get the message across to criminals that Fayette County is tough on crime? Well, I think by prosecuting those criminals for those crimes, they're getting the message. Uh, a lot of drug dealers will go outside of our county to do their drug deals so they don't get arrested in our county. Uh, the drug dealers have that message. They know what we do. They know that we prosecute the crimes. Uh, we still prosecute possession of marijuana. Travis County doesn't. Harris County doesn't. The legislature's even acted legislation to go after those district attorneys who aren't prosecuting these crimes because it's creating such a problem. Uh, but we still prosecute uh, everything that we believe is constitutional and is against the law, and uh, we, we do so very well. Well, I will prosecute cases vigorously. Um, you know, and this, this kind of goes back to the, to the issue of experience. You know, I think a lot of prosecutors in California and New York and these other states have a lot of experience. But it's how you handle the cases that matter. I think it is. And I hate to go back to this Rafael Romero case, but it's the only one I've got to go on. And let me clarify one thing. He was charged with a second degree felony. That's what's in the plea agreement, second degree felony. Well, under Texas Penal Code section 12.33, someone convicted of a second degree felony faces between two and 20 years in, in jail time. He was allowed to plead out no contest. There was no trial, no conviction, and he received five years of deferred adjudication. I, I don't know the facts, but I don't think that would have been the outcome in my case. I'm sorry. I, All right, I, well, I, we will uh, refrain from speaking from the audience. I'm, we'll refrain from replying to the audience. Thank I'm you very sorry. much. All right. Um, Gentlemen, we have uh, closing remarks coming up. Closing remarks will start uh, with Mr. Herbrick, and you have two minutes for your closing remark. Um, Mr. Herbrick, you can go ahead. Thank you. Again, I've been here for 19 years. This is my home. This is my family's home. I've dedicated my life and my career to being an assistant county attorney. I've worked my way up the ranks, as Ms. Frank talked about in her speech. On-the-job training, there is no substitute for on-the-job training. I am the only one with experience doing this job, and I have 21 years of experience. I have one heck of a record in this community showing this community what kind of prosecutor I am. I've stood up for victims time and time again, and I will continue to do that. I will make you proud if you vote for me for county attorney, as you have been the year I've been assistant county attorney. 
I have the support of all of law enforcement in this county for a reason. I have the support from so many of the legal community in this county for a reason. Not only the criminal defense attorneys are supporting me, all of the attorneys in this county that have voiced their support has voiced it for me. I have several other attorneys who've called me that I haven't even added to the list yet that are supporting me. I've had attorneys from other counties send me donations. I have that support because of the job I do and the reputation that I've made. I will be a great county attorney and I look forward for your vote. Thank you very much. Well, I wanna thank everyone for listening to me and hearing what I have to say about my approach to being the county attorney in this office. Again, the reason I did it is I could sense that we were not gonna get a choice again. This was gonna be handed off from one county attorney to an assistant or hand-picked successor again. And I think it's important that voters have a choice and have input into who their county, who their elected officials are, not just this race, but all races. So that's why I did it. I also signed up because I think I'll be good at this. Uh, as I've demonstrated over 40 years, I'm good at a lot of areas of the law. Um, with regard to law enforcement, I certainly support law enforcement. Now, all of these people that are listed as endorsing my opponent, again, not one of them has spoken to me and made a, a, an informed decision, I want to support him or I want to support him. I would like for Chief Gilbert to, to get to know me and like me. I would like for everyone else to get, uh, get to know me and like the job that I'm doing. And I expect to get their confidence if given a chance to be your county attorney. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an unknown quantity, but I've chosen to make Fayette County my home. I wasn't raised here, didn't go to school here, but I've moved here. I've chosen to make it my home. I want to make it a great place or an even better place. And so I will earn the respect and endorsement of these people if they just give me a chance as opposed to uh, not doing so and just going with the familiar candidate. And again, that's not a slight against Mr. Herbrook. That's just the way, it, and I'm trying to get away from that system where it's just in lockstep succession. Um, so, I ask for your vote on March 5th or early voting whenever you do. Uh, I think your faith in me would be justified. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, real quickly before you go. First of all, I wanna thank everybody for attending this forum. I really appreciate it. Um, again, a reminder that it has been recorded by William Burnson and it will be posted on our Fayette County Republican Party website no later than tomorrow morning. It's gonna be a very good, high quality video um, with all of the breaks and stuff edited out. So it'll go real quickly for you. Um, again, I, I want to invite you to join the Fayette County Republican Party help in our efforts to grow the party and educate our voters. Um, we, if you would like to make a donation to help us out with paying for any of these forums, we have some envelopes over in the, the information table. But again, thank you for coming and have a safe trip home. Thank you.